spoiler alert, this is a podcast where we break down every episode of The Mandalorian as it releases on Disney+. Plus. You have been warned. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This is the Waycast. I am Zach Perlstein, the editor-in-chief of the Boardwalk Times. And joining me today will be Giovanni Delgadillo, also of the Boardwalk Times. And today we are going to break down Chapter 21, The Pirate of the Mandalorian. So let's just get right into it. So this episode, The Pirate, starts with Gorian Shard. He's back and he's invading Navarro. Giovanni, we called this one. We saw this coming from a mile away. Yeah, I must say the only real thing that surprised me about this is how much i'd look at gorian and be like wow that looks like a brute from the halo franchise but with vegetables all over him for sure i think gorian has a really cool design like i don't know he just reminds me of a like big muppet i love that i love that i i honestly thought it was kind of funny during the hologram sequence with grief karga he looked more cg than muppet and then we get to see him for the rest of the episode and he does look so muppety that it's like insane pizza the hut over here indeed and speaking of that grief karga he contacts uh carson tiva the only person in the new republic that has like any sort of a brain so i found that if like a fascinating point and i was glad to see carson tiva back yeah can i just say that carson tiva being a more central focus, especially right now where they're in this transition period of getting rid of Rangers of the New Republic and inserting it into these other shows. I thought that was really smart to have him be the main guy because people really like the actor. Paul, he he was really fun in Kim's Convenience. He's about to play General Iroh in the Last Airbender live action. And he's just amazing in this show. It's Some people are calling him an upgrade over Cara Dune, who probably would have been the main character. And I, I got to say, I agree. I think he's just a better actor, and I'm excited to see what else they do with his character and the now fully named Aldelphi Rangers. Yeah, Aldelphi Rangers is another cool thing that happened in this episode. And you're right with Carson Tiva. I think he would have been a big player within Rangers of the New Republic. And... He does play a significant role within this episode, but let's let's cover this Aldelphi, uh, the Aldelphi Rangers for a few moments, Giovanni, because there's some significant stuff that goes down here. And I know specifically you you liked something within this scene and a lot of Rebels fans liked something during the scene. So it's like we have all these new Republic Rangers. They're all hanging out on Aldelphi, you know, they're all just kind of chilling out. We get cameos from Deborah Chow, Dave Filoni, and Rick Famuyiwa. And then a big cameo for Rebels fans happened. So, Gio, what was how what were you thinking with, like when that happened? Did you expect that either? So, thanks to Star Wars Twitter, I got it spoiled to me like the morning the episode came out before I could watch it. And a bunch of stuff from Bad Batch as well. But I must say that either way, I was still surprised because I hadn't seen him in motion. I just saw like images floating around and I just uh, I'm I'm so happy about it. Like even now, you know, a while later after the episode has come out, that's one of those things where I'm like the way they did it was so tasteful. They didn't waste time like lingering on him for too long. He was just there for the scene. He wasn't a part of the whole like 
accusations fans are making about the shows being full of too many cameos or like take away from the story because he didn't take away from the story. He was just there to like make a comment. And now people know he would have been a part of Rangers of the New Republic, which in turn makes it sound like because he's from a show called Star Wars Rebels and these New Republic Rangers are essentially the Rebel Alliance, but post Empire, it feels like that show would have been a sequel in a way uh, probably not like a direct sequel like ahsoka is being but more like a continuation of that idea not necessarily with the ghost crew and we get to see dave filoni staring at his own creation right across the table signature hat and all alongside rick famayua and deborah chow zeb seems like he's gonna he's getting set up for a pivotal role within this mandoverse Though, I mean, I know this cameo is fairly quick and it was it was tasteful. That was a good word for it. I mean, I don't really think if you didn't know who Zeb was, you weren't you just thought he was a random creature in this bar. Like, that's kind of my takeaway because it took me a few seconds to connect who that was, because, I mean, I haven't really watched Rebels and I don't know. I just really think it's smart to integrate these characters that people already know. It makes the universe feel more lived in. And you're right. I think Rangers of the New Republic would have been a continuation of that Rebel Alliance idea. And I think that would be a cool thing to show because a prime example in this episode is Carson Teva. He served in the Rebel Alliance and he actually served with R5. So, I mean, there is this big crossover between people who served in the Rebel Alliance and then now are serving in the New Republic and we also have a dynamic brewing within the New Republic of you have the amnesty program. You have Elia Kane, but then you have these people like Carson Tebow who have served the rebellion this entire time. And they're kind of weary of these amnesty program, these imperial empire thinkers. And they should be because as we've talked about on this podcast, Giovanni, is the new Republic like super dumb because like the downfall shouldn't be happening for a couple of years. And like right now we're already seeing cracks and it's like, it's blowing my mind. Yeah. There's something about them that Carson even points out where they're like trying not to be like the empire and then inadvertently being just as stupid as the empire was, as we're seeing in recent star Wars media, including rebels where the empire was very lazy because they thought they were so powerful they didn't have to do anything really whenever the rebels would come and mess up some of their stuff they would like oh for example in andor they're like oh you guys use festivals as like a cover for your missions all right we'll definitely start banning those like and that's their big solution to the rebel attacks it's like oh you guys can't you know use blah 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 as cover or else we're gonna punish like that planet or whatever and it's like do you think that's gonna stop these people and then over here they're like okay we have a decentralized government that lost control of the outer rim completely not like they had it to begin with but now they're like oh we have a outer rim patrol guy over here telling us that something bad is happening and we're just like oh the outer rim isn't that important despite you know a lot of problems coming from there in the prequels and in Clone Wars. So it's like, I don't know what's up with the New Republic, but they definitely feel like the Empire without the like tyranny part, or at least they think so. So it's really interesting because that's something that spawned the dichotomy in the prequels of are you a separatist or a Republican or like Republic serving person? 
And so that's why it's really interesting to me that they're doing that again, except post empire in a world where people are already sick of government overreach. So it's really interesting that Carson is the only one and he says it out loud. And then Kane is like, Oh, I get that a lot. I'm like, no, he's right. Like, regardless of your ex empire status, like it is pretty obvious what's going on here. And she's got that smug look too. Yeah. It's just crazy that there isn't any sort of backbone. There isn't sort of any thinking through yet, but there is rumors that we might see Mon Mothma. So maybe things start to change. And maybe we get a Leia cameo because Leia is very involved with the New Republic government. So, I mean, if we're going to continue this New Republic storyline, I feel like Mon Mothma and Leia have to come into it at some point, even if it isn't Leia in the flesh. Maybe it will be a, uh, I think, as you suggested, a uh, line of dialogue, perhaps, of like Senator Organa or just something that kind of connects the tissue of this storyline. But to continue on with our boy Carson Tiva, he goes to the Mandalorian camp because R5 gave him the location, and he basically recruits the Mandalorians, mostly Mando, to go save Navarro because he can't. And I think it's a really smart move, and obviously the Mandalorians have hesitation, but I think... I don't know. I just think it was a smart move. If the New Republic's not getting involved, let's get the Mandalorians involved. And hey, they might be able to have a home again on Navarro. I thought that was a cool way to connect this episode to season one. In fact, in many ways, this reminded me a ton of the third episode of season one when the Mandos help Din rescue Grogu at the end of that episode. It really did feel like that, especially since we literally just saw Navarro being all prosperous at the beginning of the season and now it's already getting demolished again so it's also interesting to note that the firefight on navarro is very impressive for one and i would consider it like one of those top 10 live action blaster fights same with the the dog fighting i'm just like how are they constantly having these amazing ship battles this season it's a really cool blaster battle we get to see these guys being really tactical and it shows that bo-katan is more of a leader than Din. Like we've discussed this many times before, how Din is Lone Wolf and she's very much like, oh, I was already an heiress. And I've said before that I think what they're doing is smart because there's this time period between Rebels and Mando where somehow the Darksaber gets lost in the fold and Bo-Katan loses all of her power. And then here she is trying to regain the power. And they're instead of having her have the lightsaber be like this is why i'm a leader she's having to show why she's a leader she's having to prove it i think that's a really smart way to do it and i guess we'll see where that plot line goes but that's obviously for later in the episode and going back to what i was saying about lone wolf we obviously have the n1 starfighter coming in here and din is doing a lot of that on his own so to speak so really cool stuff yeah, it was very cool stuff, and I think one thing to point out is that Lucasfilm does all their effects mostly in-house, where Marvel Studios, they basically give it to different different vendors, and I think we're starting to see a huge quality gap between the Marvel Disney Plus shows and Star Wars, where I know this is a little off-topic, Geo, but Star Wars visual effects and all these shows have been great. 
in my opinion. I think they've done an excellent job with ships and, you know, character designs and CGI and stuff. And I almost think the argument should be made that Marvel needs to really figure out how to create their own in-house effects company so they can have it for their Disney Plus shows. Because right now that's benefiting Star Wars tremendously, especially when you have all these like Zeb and all these like just just these characters are coming to life and there isn't any sort of complaints at all. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And obviously ILM is the number one reason to thank for that. But it's kind of impressive that they pull off stuff like last year we had the opening or opening the like last two or three episodes of Book of Boba Fett with the Mandalorian showing up. And that's when we were first introduced to the N1. And it looked so real that I couldn't believe that the entire thing is CGI, which obviously it is. But that that was like blowing my mind because up until then, Book of Boba Fett had been just okay, still with impressive visual effects, but nothing that impressive. And then jump forward to this year and we got Andor and or rather at the end of the year, we got Andor, which was also very visually impressive at all times. And it used as much CGI as it needed to without going too far. So that just looks amazing. And now we jump back to Mando season three and it's a continuation of what we saw in Book of Boba Fett. It's just mind blowing. Zeb, like we've already talked about, looked incredible. Like there's no real way to make that guy look practically like good. I thought using apparently and i just learned this uh yesterday actually yesterday evening steve bloom he's the actor who played zeb in rebels he did the motion capture for zeb like in the show so i'm like wow not only are you getting the exact same actor like for the voice you're doing his facial capture so doing cgi makes sense because you get all the little emotion and it is noticeable so the big explosions that happened during this ship battle just it's like the best fireballs i've like ever seen it's cg fireballs and people pointed out how amazing they looked in the last season if you remember in chapter well not chapter but episode six of last season where they go to rescue uh grogu and they're like trying to find his location and they go to this place with bill burr's character and then there's the TIE fighters that just bomb this one area and they fly through the smoke and the smoke realistically swirls. That That's the kind of stuff that I'm like, ILM is the only company that I've seen do these fireballs that don't look bad. Like that's my number one thing in CGI. If you do good explosions, that's how I know that you're good at everything else. And they're just nailing everything. They are. And they just have just such a good track record so far with all the Star Wars series and speaking of star wars series skeleton crew which is going to be a part of this mandalorian universe comes out later this year and one of the rumors was that gorian shard was going to be one of the antagonists of that series yet he dies in this episode so i'm i have a feeling maybe he was only a one episode cameo in skeleton crew or something like that or maybe he doesn't tie into the larger plot maybe he's just an outer rim pirate and maybe it's a more pirate focused series before the kids get lost in the star wars galaxy but i don't know what was your take on that did you expect gorian shard to die like that or did you expect them to retreat so yeah the dude's kind of a moron um he just kind of like 
didn't retreat when he had the chance. And then he obviously have Vane, who's probably going to be more more of a villain going forward. And he's he's more like the star scream to yeah to Megatron type deal. Uh, if we're going with like a Transformers analogy, because he runs away, he does he wants to be the leader. Clearly, he doesn't really care. But I think if Skeleton Crew takes place like before this show and then eventually catches up to it during its runtime, I think it would make sense if Gorian makes an appearance at the beginning, because I've heard things about that show that are way more interesting than a lot of people are expecting. So that's what I want to say would probably happen is it's going to be Gorian shards in it for a little bit and then inciting incident happens and we don't see him again and then they come back or whatever and he's dead or he didn't die, which I highly doubt, or he's just not in that show at all, which would probably be the easiest thing to, you know, assume as of now, we don't know though. Yeah, we don't know, but there's always a chance that he might not be in the show. It could also be a faulty rumor, but hey, Skeleton Crew is shaping up to be something crazy. I mean, we got John Watts, we got the Daniels, we got David Laurie. I mean, what a directing crew that is off the bat. I mean, that Star Wars show, I think, is going to hit people right in the face, and I can't wait. But speaking of this Star Wars show, our girl, Bo-Katan, which I have a question for you about Bo-Katan, and I want to know if like there if this is just like katie sackoff like doing it like do you notice like bo katan like walks like way different than like all the other mandalorians like she walks like slower or like it's like more pronounced that is hilarious that you're pointing that out yeah i did notice that but i feel like she she has more of like a regal presence you know what i mean yeah like like, in general I don't know how to explain it without like sounding like too weird, man. But like, it's, I don't know, like how she just like walks. I'm like, it's like almost like sneaking around. I don't know how to explain it without sounding too weird, but I think you get what like I'm saying. Yeah, no, I get it. And that I think is definitely intentional on Katie's part. Like she has said before that for previous episodes, she said acting with the helmet on is a challenge because you have to have pronounced physicality and that she would run back to the monitors between takes to see like, what am I doing that I could improve underneath the helmet and with like my, my, uh, well, everything like my entire body. So I think that's a good point to notice because it's especially noticeable in this episode near the end when she's walking in between all the Mandalorians after they do another season one reference and she goes down the stairs with pause Vizla, who who this episode takes a turn for the i don't like din to like oh i respect this guy because he saved my son and everything it feels like that's what makes this episode interesting is that it builds off all four previous episodes every single episode was important every character shows up in some way except for like maybe dr pershing which we don't know what happened to him besides the brain frying. Like he might be dead, who knows? And we get to like the last plot point of the episode after we get set up. Like this episode basically already ended perfectly like three times. So, cause we get the zoom in on Bo's face and I was like, oh, the episode's over. And then no, then they go and show her uh, walking through all the Mandalorian. So they show the exact aftermath of the armor being like, hey, take your helmet off. Like, 
which was a complete surprise because you would think she's like completely religious like zealot doesn't want to change anything and then she realizes what Bo realizes is that they have to all work together and I really like that so I, I like that they're doing it in this way where <clears throat> Bo-Katan was already important before and she already has the skills to be a leader she just needs to unite all of these Mandalorians which we've been saying since like basically episode one or episode two when she appeared it was like oh yeah she should be the one leading all these people and she's going to by the end of the season now whether or not this season ends like in a positive way and i mean that not necessarily that it'll be like a bad ending uh written bad or anything i mean like like a downer ending like something bad happens and then we have an exciting incident for season four or ahsoka or whatever but yeah that's that's something that I'm excited to see more of. I'm glad that they picked Bo-Katan of all characters. It feels like that's a plot thread that we've had running all the way from Clone Wars to Rebels to now. Because each time the shows would like get cut off right when Filoni was working on a specific storyline. And now he's meshing everything into all these shows. He is, and I think it is pivotal that the armor picked out Bo-Katan to be the one to unite all the Mandalorians to take back Mandalore. And I think that's going to be a very intriguing storyline in the next few episodes. But I am totally in agreement with you, Giovanni. I think the season is going to end on a, like, did we lose type no, I think it's going to be definitely more of a hard-hitting ending. At least that's what I'm expecting so far. But speaking of like hard-hitting endings, we have to talk about the very end of this episode before we start doing our predictions for next week. So this very end of the episode, Carson Teva, you know, the hardest working man in all of the New Republic, he encounters the wreckage of Moff Gideon's prison transport. His probe droid goes in, he detects Beskar, which means... Mandalorians might have been the one to break him out, but in reality, it was probably maybe someone framing the Mandalorians. We we don't know. There it could go either way. But really, we have the biggest key within this scene is the New Republic is slacking, and then the rumors are true. Moff Gideon never made it to trial, so Moff Gideon is not in a New Republic jail. And we have no clue about his whereabouts yet, but that's going to play a factor in the final three episodes. Can I just say it was incredibly stupid that they have this transport shuttle with no other ships like guiding it or anything unless unless those ships were run by double agents. That's the thing is that right now, Elia is the only like m mole we know about. And so. We don't know how far the corruption goes where it's like, okay, this is clearly a Hydra infiltrating shield situation. I don't think it's like that, which just shows how lackadaisical the whole thing is with the New Republic and just how stupid they are. Because it's like, you just see the Lambda shuttle. That's it. There's no wreckage of any other ships. It's like no one was protecting it. Uh, can I just say, I thought the visual effects here once again were amazing. And it reminded me of like the movie Gravity or something. It's very spooky vibe. And it was funny to me that the little astromech antenna is now Bluetooth. And so it was floating around in there. But I also have to say, I agree with you that I think the Mandalorians are either being framed or this is going to be like some evil set of Mandalorians that have nothing to do with 
Bo-Katan and the rest of them. Some people are even predicting that maybe it's Bo-Katan's ex-Mandos, like Night Owls, or another sect of Death Watch, which, funny enough, I noticed the Death Watch symbol on one of the Mandalorians in the Watch. So their whole goal of bringing the Mandalorians together, technically the Watch is picking up the pieces already. Like, these are lost souls, so to speak. So, anyways, back to, like, this plotline. Uh, someone else on Twitter pointed out, like, it was their own theory. It wasn't like they knew anything. Morgan Elsbeth had the Beskar spear at one point. So it's like, clearly, there are other Mando artifacts out there that they could just use to frame Mandos. Um, if this is like Gideon or slash Thrawn's crew, I still think Moff Gideon is the main villain of the Mandalorian, like as the series overall. I think Thrawn is like a Thanos villain, where when we get that big crossover movie event or whatever it is that they're doing, Thrawn will be the Thanos equivalent villain of that. But I think it's cool to have Moff Gideon continue to be played by Giancarlo Esposito as the main guy over here. Now, the question of where that Beskar came from and what's going on there, we'll have to see because because we talked about Zeb earlier, but there is another Rebels character that is massively rumored to make an appearance in this series, and it's a Mandalorian character. Now, I know some people, because I said that, would immediately jump to one of the main characters but uh no this is someone else and i'm kind of surprised that they would put this character in live action this is a character who was evil for a time or not evil was an antagonist and i think it's going to be interesting to see what this plot line is because a lot of people forget the empire had a little sect of mandalorians working for them and they wore like stormtrooper-esque armor in rebels so we'll see where this goes yeah, it should be exciting to see where this goes because obviously it opens up a lot of questions because we don't know where Moff Gideon is. We don't know who broke into the transport, who was on that transport ship. How does Cara Dune factor into this? That's a big one because, you know, that was a big thing on Grief Karga being like, oh, yeah, she was recruited by the New Republic. Well, what happened there? You know, because I, I've been we, we've said since our first episode that there could be a recasting if if needed. Really, they have a lot of potential in these final three episodes. So I'm very curious to see how they decide to really wrap this up. And I agree with you, Moff Gideon. Yeah, he is probably going to be the Mandalorians, the series main villain. And then Thrawn would be the bigger villain. And then maybe in the distance, obviously, it would be Snoke, Palpatine, you know, just some something, you know, something there. But another point before we get into our predictions for next week, Geo, with the Elia Kane thing, are we really heading towards that many double agents in the New Republic? Because I feel like, you know, the one thing, though, is that we have. It's been like. When the Mandalorian started, it was five years after Return of the Jedi. Now we're in season three, and according to John Favreau, there's been time jumps, even though that's been unclear. That hasn't been the timeline hasn't been super clear. But even within that time frame, I just couldn't imagine the buildup. But Elia Kane, we've already seen she's just one person, and the damage she's already done as a mole. Do you think this mole storyline will be addressed in like another show? Like, where do you think? we could end up because obviously the Gideon thing might end up being 
a double agent type situation as well. I want to say that <clears throat> I've heard that Ahsoka will have half of the show be about New Republic stuff and like obviously Ahsoka dealing with some other things that have nothing to do with her own storyline because that would be the second half of the show. That's what I've heard. Obviously, we don't know if that's true, but I think that would be the show to look out for these other New Republic people. I, I'm i not sure about the old double agent. It's like I said earlier, I highly doubt this is like the Hydra situation. And we'll have to wait and see how that plays out because Elias is the only one we know about. And if she really is doing a lot of this on her own, like covering up, for example, the fact that Moff Gideon got away because, oh, he never made it to trial. It's like, what did no one do anything about this? Like Carson just happens to be the only one who runs into the shuttle. And clearly they wanted someone to find it because they left the best car there. It's like, oh, we need to get rid of those pesky Mandos because Moff Gideon hates Mandalorians. So, yeah, there, there's something up there and we'll have to see where that goes necessarily. Like Thrawn supposedly in the novels isn't necessarily like this big evil empire like fanboy. He has more of a, what should we call it? He has more love for his own species because he's a chiss. And obviously the empire is pretty xenophobic and is mostly humans. And having him be a high-ranking officer is like an exception, essentially. So the whole thing with him was, oh, I want to bring the chiss back because they're out in this unknown region area is what people are assuming. So we'll see how that goes. but. In terms of like this season, it's definitely interesting to see if Moff Gideon really is the only guy over here, like with this kind of reach and with these plans. Because we have to remember, he already trolled uh, Din Djarin into fighting him for the Darksaber last season because he knew that would interfere with Bo-Katan, not knowing that she wasn't going to be that mad about it. Like that was the twist there is that Bo-Katan had the strength of character to not immediately like hate on Mando or whatever. And even if she lost her Mandalorians that are probably going to work for him, if that's part of the story, she can get them back. Or she has her new found family of Mandalorians with Din. Which, speaking of, something I noticed this episode, they frame Din and Bo together a lot. Which we talked about, I think, all the way back in episode two of this pod. Yeah, there, there was a lot of scenes where they were standing shoulder to shoulder and even sitting like shoulder to shoulder right next to each other. And I'm like, there's an agenda there. I can see it. I see the vision. They're in love. That's it. That's it. That's it. Confirmed right here. They're in there's love. No need to see the rest. We we already know. And speaking about seeing the rest, do you have any predictions for the final three episodes, Geo? So my prediction was mainly what we said earlier. I think the ending is going to be like a downerish ending because this episode sets up a mission, but it gives you no indication of where said mission is going. Like they're like, oh yeah, Bo-Katan, go find the rest of the Mandalorians. And that's about it. Like they don't even tell Din what to do. So he's still technically the main character, but like there's so many now that this feels more like a real serialized TV show at this point. And he's more of like the hero in the background until something crazy happens because it feels like and i said this before doing 
Grogu with Luke and like that whole thing was almost too ambitious on top of the New Republic stuff in the show. And so they were like, we have the Jedi, the New Republic and the Mandalorians. And we obviously the show is called the Mandalorian. So we have to keep that. And then the New Republic is setting up all these conflicts. So the Jedi school, we're going to have to cut that. And I think that's exactly why they had Grogu come back and all this stuff, especially trying to keep deep fake Luke on for so long. I mean, that's a technical challenge. Like it would be very hard to keep that believable for so long. So I think they made the right choice there. Maybe the whole returning Grogu thing is hasty and kind of dumb, but it makes sense in this context as we're getting further in the show and we're seeing what storylines they have planned out. A hundred percent. And I think my prediction for the final three weeks will probably be we get a Mon Mothma appearance. And I would say we also get something with Grogu that goes down. That's a pretty, maybe another Keller and Beck flashback. Maybe there is something that ties in the past, present and future of Star Wars altogether. So those are my predictions there. Exciting times ahead, I must say. I think these last three are probably going to go hard. I mentioned in the Bad Batch podcast that each week people have been like comparing Mando and Bad Batch and been like, whoa, Bad Batch is so good. And I'm like, yeah, but a few weeks ago, you guys were hating on it because it was calling it too much filler. So I think we're seeing that exact same turnaround happen to Mando. I said with Joaquin on Bad Batch, I was like, hey, I think that these last few episodes of Bad Batch have been tremendous and really cool and everything. But this is also because we're over halfway done with the season and now the season's over and it ended on a high note. Well, not for the characters, but like quality wise. And I think with Mandalorian, we're seeing exactly that. So I don't know, but that's I'm just excited to see where it goes. Yeah. And speaking of the Bad Batch, Geo, aren't you guys recording an episode for the Bad Batch finale here soon? We will be recording an episode about the finale. I'm so excited. We're trying to get all three of us on there because recently it's been me and Joaquin. You know, life happens. People get yeah, busy. For so sure. we're trying to get the full Bad Batch trio. And we hope to have that episode out soon. Please, everyone, take a listen after you watch the Bad Batch finale. Perfect. I, you know, I'll be sure to plug it. Can't wait to see all of your guys' thoughts on the Bad Batch. Thank you for tuning into This Is The Waycast. We got three episodes left in this season, so make sure you are subscribed and following this podcast feed so you don't miss an episode. For Star Wars content, head over to BoardwalkTimes.net and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at BoardwalkTimes.